Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Wednesday, August 18th. And uh, John and I have made the joint decision to also not officially visit Michigan State. So let's take take that silver lining on Amani's top four uh greatest (laughs) latest news is that he is uh you know taking officials to Memphis and Oregon this week not Michigan State uh like I said silver lining he's already pretty sure he knows where he wants to go which is MSU I'm making this up and (laughs) And he's just getting some free trips out of it, which is Austin and I have talked about at length. Yes. Five trips, free, all expenses paid. Anywhere in the country, take them, even if you know where you're going. Couldn't agree more. I, I will say I respect that move from him tremendously yes. if he ended up coming to MSU and just doing that. Yes. I would have to say that I would question his choice of schools to go to just for sheer vacation purposes, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and Eugene, Oregon. But regardless, um, yeah, so he's not coming to MSU. Guys, I think this is officially the time where John and I, uh, we always talk about expectations when it comes to like how a team's going to do. I think it's fair that we can change our expectations here as well. We may have said some things. Things may have been said during part one of our uh, accidental two-part episode last week where we said, hey, maybe this is good things for MSU, yada, yada, yada. Scratch it from the record. Mm-mm. It is no longer on the record. Uh, this feels like Imani is headed elsewhere. And oh. yeah. Now, here's here's a question, John. And then we're going to move on to football because we Wait. don't want to spend too much time here. Go Speak ahead. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. I stand by Okay. NVM. I stand by all of my terrible takes. And my continued spin zone is if I were Imani and I knew I was going to MSU, I would let Penny give and Jalen Duran give one last pitch to me. And then I need to go to Eugene, Oregon anyway, because I am already a Nike athlete and I want to start mm. talking about sponsorship stuff. So, yeah, I just happened to go to Oregon's campus. But guess what uh, is right next door? Portland, Oregon. And I'm going to go talk to Phil Knight. So that's my, that is my most insane spin zone I can think of. I don't think that's I've a really been. good one. That's a good one. I Thank think we're all in agreement that that is the only feasible scenario uh, <laughs> that we have moving forward. Um, but I, 
at this point, John, if he actually did come to MSU, like mm-hmm. just imagine that happened. Like, I, I, I don't even know how I would feel. I think I would just be like, all right, like that's that's exciting. Yeah. I'd be exhausted. I'm already I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. That's my permanent emotion. <laughs> well, to your point, we're both very tired all the time, just from everything. <laughs> Amani's baggage is really wearing me down. It's taking me down, man. I'm hurt. It's not. It, there's a lot, man. I, I gotta say, like, it's. It seems like there's there. If it's not one thing, it's another. And yeah, this kid has had a lot of pressure put on him for the last few years. But I also will say it's not like he has shied away from it nor uh, been hesitant to take on any extra spotlight. So I, you know, I feel I feel for him, but I also am kind of like, yeah, you kind of you kind of get what you sign up for at a at a certain point. So whatever it is, listen, as always, with all of the players that inevitably spurn MSU, especially in basketball and end up going elsewhere, as long as it's not Duke or Michigan, typically I wish them well. And I feel the same way here about Imani. So. Uh, ho- hopefully he figures it out, makes the right choice for him. It's not over. And also, for for the record, there was an article recently. I think Goodman posted it, and he wanted to stop playing. Like, think about how hard it would be to, yeah, you know. And he's not also, you know, you mentioned he leans into it. I don't know how much of that is him and how much of that is and or other people. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of keeping keeping the hype train going is difficult. You have to stay relevant to keep the hype train going. It's true. It's true. You have to wonder about the people that are around him. Yeah, and it's not you. You can't. It's not just basketball. Like basketball, as we know it, is not just on the court anymore. No. It's every. It's this. It's. I hate to use the word circus, but it's just the noise around it. You know, fashion. Uh, music, um, you know, culture. Bleacher and Report. It's like, what are you contributing outside of just the basketball court? To, and that's how you stay relevant, right? And well, it's, it's social sound, media. It's the advent of button. social media, which makes us feel old and sound old when we say that. But in, in reality, like, there is stuff that he, as a high schooler and prodigy here, has to deal with that like guys in previous generations didn't have to deal with even LeBron James didn't have to deal with that. And he was the most hyped athlete. Like, you know, he was put on the cover of sports illustrated. Sure. But there wasn't Instagram. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Facebook. None of this stuff where people are constantly talking about you and having like, frankly, like unprecedented access to your every element of your life. I mean, like NBA fashion wasn't like a thing until social media. And now it's, how people decide who their favorite players are and who they think is good. Like, I think it's the reason Kyle Kuzma has a career. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's, there is a lot to, to his, you know, credit, I suppose that uh, he has to deal with that. A lot of others don't, but, or haven't traditionally, traditionally or historically, but you know, whatever it is, I hope he just gets to the league. I hope he's really good. At, no matter what happens, I'll always say that he's a Spartan because <laughs> he was at one point committed to us. So yeah, that's I'm sticking to it. Yeah, roster. It's weird to think the first game is in two and a half months, and even if it's not MSU, Oregon, Memphis, or MSU could be adding a player to the team. <laughs> that's just <laughs> yeah, kind of it is insane. 
It's insane. It's insane. Well, um, that's pretty much all we got for hoops, John. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time for a much more wide ranging topic that is, I would say, maybe more squarely in our uh, Q zone, as it were. Um, there is some talk. You may have heard about it uh, of expansion within the world of college athletics. It's true. We've been down this road before, especially in the Big Ten. We've been down this road uh, before, but the, the talks are back now. We may be a few weeks behind the initial part of it, but there have been some developments in in, in conjunction with Texas and Oklahoma, more or less saying, guys, we're going to the SEC. Uh, there are some additional conversations happening uh, between the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten. It's true. There are some Conversation is not necessarily about an all-out merger, but more of a share of crossover games so that you're kind of developing marquee matchups, much in the same way the Big Ten ACC Challenge is in basketball. So there's some sort of alliance kind of being discussed here. Not necessarily everything is vetted out, but trying to these three conferences are trying to figure out how they can do a share a schedule share with um, trying to figure out much like Notre Dame is with the ACC and has, I believe five guaranteed games every year. That might be wrong, but, and you know, they shuffle through the entire conference and Notre Dame is a marquee name. There are some non-marquee names in the ACC, PAC 12 and big 10, but there are certainly some very big ones that would generate massive TV audiences. Mm -hmm. And you're almost helping each school with their playoff hopes by having marquee matchups. Absolutely. But also forcing athletic departments' hands to play in games instead of scheduling them. Scheduling can be half the battle, right? You know, you got to pick up the phone and you don't see Clemson pick up the phone and call USC to say, let's do a home and home. But it's, it's not a guaranteed win. You know, you kind of, you kind of got to feel out your schedule, but these types of games would guarantee matchups that otherwise may not happen. You know, it's always a surprise when Ohio State and Oklahoma do a home and home. You know, that's a, what, what a treat for us, right? Yeah. Uh, th- this would guarantee matchups. And so with that, well, first of all, what do you think about that? You know, how are, are you in, out? What are your thoughts? I think it's a cool idea. To be honest, I mean, I, I will say that MSU, I think, has always sort of been one of the more aggressive, certainly Big Ten teams, but probably probably teams nationally, they're probably in at least the upper echelon of like being willing to play these big time out of conference games. I mean, at different points, they've scheduled Alabama. They had, I mean, obviously Miami. They've done Boise State. Now Washington is on there. I mean, like they're consistently scheduling at least one like pretty tough non-con game well and so, notre dame was usually that yep and forever notre dame was part of that mix um so they've never been afraid so i i think it's cool oregon another example like i think it's cool that well i should say like i always supported these games i think they're a great opportunity to you know kind of to your point like increase especially when you're not ohio state and you're not one of these teams that has like the the benefit of the doubt when it comes to getting into a playoff, like when you're a team that's going to have to overcome, like not a number one ranking to start a season, uh, 
these types of games give you that that stage to to prove that you deserve to be there. And again, and I think also for like program sake, like premise you to be playing a night game against Oregon, like that was massive for the program. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if they were to happen now when the program is not in the same place it was when those games were happening. Like they're a big deal. I remember when MSU played Cal my sophomore year at 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 state. Uh, and it was Mark D'Antonio's first year. I think it was his first game. It was second game. And Pitt, you know, those that was the other matchup, right? When we were like crap, crap matchups, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you were still excited and it got you that stage that you don't always, but I, you know, you don't get when you're at that age. So this is that, that sta- stage of your program. So I think this is a really cool opportunity. I think it's also on top of that, a great way for these conferences to protect the fact that they are in fact still collegiate conferences by kind of teaming together and saying, hey, we're our non-con isn't really going to include the SEC to a degree, I mm-hmm. think is uh, an interesting subtext to this whole thing. And also another thing that's shining through is that these three are positioning themselves to be the other three in what will eventually probably become like the big four yep. conferences and that the big 12 is just screwed. It's true, but we don't feel bad for them, honestly. No. The uh, And by the way, Nebraska – you really, 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 really need to calm down. You need to be a lot nicer to us because we let you in. We yes. and maybe we shouldn't have, honestly. Your performance. I don't know what you've brought brought to the table yeah, thus far. Exactly. Yeah. So you, I would just lighten up over there, calm <laughs> down. You know, maybe put a smile on permanently and just not speak up unless spoken to. Uh, there. And there, where are the big boy, big corn boy uniforms? Because we said so. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. So, um, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, some matchups, uh, some interesting matchups that, that MSU has taken in the past. I think they've grown over the years, evolved to better and better, as we've seen at my or Miami home and home this year, Washington home and home um, next year. It, and that's an evolution from, you know, the cows and the pits. But mm-hmm. that begs a question. You know, which matchup would you most look forward to MSU playing in one of these Pac-12 or ACC collaborations? Yeah, and I think the answer is like twofold in a way, because the obvious answer, I I think like there's a very obvious answer in both conferences. And that's in the ACC, obviously Pitt would, or (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh, that's just my inner, that's that's my inner big time coming out. no, but I mean, like Clemson would obviously be the answer there in the in the ACC. Um, and then in the uh, Pac-12, you know, it'd probably be USC. I mean, those to me are the gold standards for for both what they would do for, you know, in terms of the prestige of the game, what they could do for your recruiting in both of those areas of the country. Like those are the, the golden geese, if you will. There's some other other obvious ones, but I kind of think if you're talking about it from games that I'd want to go to as a fan mm-hmm. uh, in the Pac-12, I personally think Cal would be an extremely cool place to see a game. I know I just talked about them, but like Berkeley is I've never been. It's supposed to be incredible. Um, that would be that would be on my list for sure. And then in the ACC, I think I'd want to go to Virginia Tech. That, and that I think, honestly, you know, if not for the caliber of the programs, if we're talking just environments, I'd put Virginia Tech 
certainly from what I've seen on TV up there with like anybody like yep. that, that environment is, is nuts. So those two as an away fan, I think would be extremely cool. What do you think? Yeah, I think Vatek is one of the most underrated or maybe not underrated because I think they're just over people kind of forget about how awesome it is. And they've, they've yeah. fallen off a little bit, I think, you know, since the, the Vic days. Um, sure. But, but, but that atmosphere, a night game in Blacksburg is incredible. It's up there, you know, with as a bucket list goes with LSU game at night, you know. Yeah. It's, Georgia at night. Sure. Right. You know, there's a it's on the it's on the very short list. And you know, you're right. The other one I'd want to go see in the ACC, obviously, Pitt is number one, as you mentioned. Obviously. Uh, but but beyond that, I think Florida State is is a yeah want to go to and just say you were you took a game in at, at doak that would be pretty awesome uh you know that another team program that's fallen off a little bit but you know still pretty awesome pretty cool uh program and frankly as we mentioned the only other one that we were like oh man definitely msu's doing it this year at miami yeah <laughs> uh, covered my pac-12 one is not a troll this one is 100%. Mm-hmm. MSU at Colorado. First of all, the content, folks. We have to oh. <laughs> content first and foremost. Second, though, Boulder is an incredible place to visit. Denver, you know, nearby. Incredible place to take in a football game, too. If you've ever looked at their stadium. Oh, small, so cool. Small stadium. But in the mountains, it is something to behold. So just a game played there a weekend spent in boulder a week actually is probably not enough and obviously the content itself is would be just fantastic so i'm not kidding i think that would be a, that would be one of my first choices in the packed world yeah i've actually i've been to boulder and like not seen a game there but been just like to the field mm-hmm. Bolson field is very very cool and yeah i totally agree i would like to that would be right up there for me as well so we were talking about another thing is just match or a team in each conference, which is the most like Michigan State. And, um, you know, we've already nailed Pitt. <laughs> just yeah, duh. They feel right. They're just spiritually very Big Ten. Like I they, they I kind of can't believe that they're not in the conference. Yeah. I don't know. If, would you say Michigan State is the most Big Ten team? I think people probably think. No. You know? I think the most Big Ten team is is Iowa or Wisconsin, maybe or Wisconsin. Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of those two. It's because when you think of Big Ten, you think of massive offensive linemen, mm-hmm. punting, and running the ball, and those two teams do it better than anybody else. I would say I don't think MSU. I don't know where MSU falls on that list. To be honest, they're probably. I would say because of how derpy the offense has been the last handful of years, I bet they actually rank pretty high up there for for most yeah um yeah and then obviously there's i i almost think like it's funny because you you know if you were not a big 10 fan and you heard this you might be like how are they not saying ohio state i think ohio state like transcends the conference the same way clemson the same way clemson does yeah in the acc totally agree i think ohio state back in the 2000s would have been the most big oh yeah trestle ball um 100 percent They've evolved. They they are they are 
they have graduated from our conference. They are just a thing that they participate in. Yes. Uh, for the time being. We are a mechanism for them to win. We are just the the fish in the barrel. <laughs> um, so, but there were some other teams we thought, you know, outside of that thought exercise that is could maybe even join the Big Ten and kind of fit in. And yours from the Pac-12 jumped out, and we saw it firsthand a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, this team would be is is once again very spiritually big, and that's Stanford. Uh, I think if you put if Stanford was in the Midwest and had just been in the Big Ten, they'd be the most Big Ten team because they are they have a thousand tight ends. Uh, They run the ball even when it is clearly not what they should be doing, Um, and it costs them in almost every major stage. So that is. That in and of itself is an extremely Big Ten combination of things to do. So uh, I would put Stanford right up there. And yeah, to your point, in the Rose Bowl, I mean that was that was a pretty a pretty Big Ten performance, if I say so. It was beautiful for so many on so many levels. Yes, it was just, pure football. Except for the folks, there is some dudes in the three rows ahead of me who literally left at halftime. They were clearly just like, you could tell they weren't a fan of either team. They had gotten free tickets or something, and they were just gambling on the game. They literally left. They were like, wow. not for me. <laughs> you know, not my thing. I can, simply not for me. I get it. They're from L.A. You know, they were just sort of passing yeah. through and just said. Huge, huge Rams fans. Yeah. They're, they're NFL fans. <laughs> it's just, I totally get it. I totally understood too. I was like, this is not for everyone. This is a very niche audience who are yeah, it's like, it's like, uh, like anchovies. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you love them, you love them, you love them mm-hmm. and you know, they're bad, but you love them mm-hmm. because they're yours. Uh, and that's how I feel about the big 10. Exactly. Um, a, a team from the ACC that we thought could fit in besides Pitt and actually one that was, kind of like Michigan State in a lot of ways, is NC State. They struggle. Yes. They struggle um, not nearly as badly as MSU. They, NC State would love to be Michigan State, I put it right. that In that position. But they just are always going to be fighting for uh, screen time. They are uh, a program that actually sneaky produces a, some pretty decent NFL talent. Oh, if, yeah. You take a peek at you know, guys that they produce. They're also they they remind me a lot of the um, same old Spartans though, like mm-hmm. SU of old. Uh, they just can't ever get over the hump. They shoot themselves in the foot all the time. Uh, they their remind- MSU is if MSU had never evolved. peaked. Yeah, they're yeah. John L. Smith's MSU. Like yeah, but even like they had some nine win teams in there. Like I mean. People forget Russell Wilson, NC State legend. Literally um, said no thanks. Yeah, I mean, like when you get, like when you get cocked like that, I feel like it sets you on a very specific path as a. Pro- like it tells you a very real message as a program when someone has to leave to go like be great somewhere else for their senior year. Like that, you know, there's only really so much you can say about the stature of your program at that point, and it sucks for them even worse now because like UNC is a legitimately good football program at the moment. So, um, yeah, they're in, they're in, they're a very like 
uh, early 2000s Michigan State uh, vibes from them. You know what's weird about NC State is they are so forgotten because they just can't quite become truly nationally relevant. But over the last 11 seasons, uh, they've had seven eight-win seasons or better. Yeah, they're like, well, so maybe they're even better than those MSU teams. I don't know who they are then. Maybe they're just like Iowa. They are Iowa because they've had – Without a brand. They have, like as I mentioned, seven of their last 11 seasons, they've had eight wins or better. But their highest win total was nine. Yes. They're nine and four. It is like, actually, it's like the Michigan Lloyd Carr days. Minus any, (laughs) except for not that relevant. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, except, again, minus the brand. Okay, do you know who their head coach is? Chuck Amato. No, this coach is in his ninth year. Chuck Amato left in 2006, by the way. It, it will always be Chuck Amato to me. So t- Dave Duran, he's in his oh, yeah. I knew ninth that. season. No one knows that, though. You know, I like, didn't know he was in his ninth season. You could have told me he just started this year, and I would have said, oh, yeah, I heard about that guy. I saw his press conference. This dude has been at a place for nine years, and we are – we are unhealthy college football fans. Indeed. And couldn't tell you that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like a – that's a – that's kind of like the being famous without being famous. Like you're the guy that writes all the songs but doesn't yep. have to do any of the actual work that comes along with being famous. You're like the the bassist uh, in the <laughs> band that nobody knows. Um, that's not rich. a bad gig for Dave Doran, I got to say. Yeah, like you're rich. Like things are good. No one bothers you. They can't, they can't fire you. Like you're, you're throwing up, you know, eight or nine win seasons, essentially two out of three years. It's hard to get rid of a guy that's can, cause you don't, again, like we always talk about, you don't know what's on the other side. You know, you draw, no. you don't want to, and you don't want to go find out. It can get bad quick. You almost never want to find out. <laughs> so, um, the, the shame of it all with them more than anything else is that they have such cool like gear yeah. Yeah. and just like an did the North Carolina State Wolf Pack first Wolf. of all and, and they go by the pack it's incredible. incredible just incredible um, so that alone makes it really just kind of a crime that they're not a, a bigger more prominent program they've got the hungry slash horny wolf logo which is uh, just a tremendous logo i mean yeah it's it's a shame but anyways that's that's talking nc state and that's what we and we would welcome them in the big Ten, i guess is exactly we look forward to that matchup quickly though as we talked about other matchups non-msu edition that you look forward to that do not include ohio state usc or clemson and we went in a completely other direction here um, yes, matchups that you'd have to be truly sick like us to enjoy. Yeah, and when you talk about Pac-12 after dark, the <laughs> opportunity for an Oregon State Rutgers game in Corvallis <laughs> is something that truly should not see the light of day. So, <laughs> like that is 
I get I get chills thinking about how ugly that would be. I mean, Oregon State is right down there in the in the Rutgers tier of it's so true. Nice. Like what they would have to do to overcome the reputation that they have as a complete and total joke is like win for ten straight years. I don't. Like, yeah. And I don't even know if it's possible. I don't even know if you could overcome like what you'd have to do to overcome their. They're so bad. It's like. If that game came on, you know, it's it was finally scheduled and put on, you know, print, it would be something where you and I would be like, you look at it and be like, what have we done? Like, yeah. What, what did we it, do? It's one when it's on TV and it's like 1130 at night and you've been drinking for a while. You're sort of like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, that's that's the moment. That so, I'm pretty sure I would have if this game came out. Did you see, by the way, I actually, and this is really showing myself right here, I actually watched a couple of Oregon State games at some random points this year. There was one game where there was a layer of uh, fog to okay. the point where you, like, couldn't see the field through the camera. And I think that's how every Oregon State game should be played. I, I bet it has. I mean, why yeah, would you watch it? I don't know. Because it was late at night and it was football. Like, truly, it was one of those, like, lizard brain moments where I'm like, well, I've got to watch TV right now because it's Saturday. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm going to watch this football because beyond this almost unseeable through cloud, there's football in there. And I'm going to find it. I was, <laughs> you know, it was it was really, truly a caveman moment. Um, how many that, How many winning seasons do you think they've had in the last... 50 years. Oregon State? Yeah. Seven? Mm, close. Ten. Wow. Ten. That sucks, man. Like, that's 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 one of those things where I'm like, <laughs> you, you've really got to reach a point as a fan. Like, I don't know how you're a diehard Oregon State football fan. Like, if that person exists and they are over the age of like 18 or 22, I'll give somebody 22 so that they're like could technically still be a student. Like, uh, I just, I need to sit down with your therapist. I don't understand what's going, like what, there's gotta be something else out there that we can get you interested in. Cooking, running, something. Dude, it's like Hannibal Burris and he's like, ha this sucks, yeah. man. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. It's exactly how you should feel. They went three straight. They've had multiple stretches of three straight years with either one or zero wins. Three straight. This happened multiple times in this 50 years. I mean, the 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 fact that three win seasons almost made me quit watching the sport altogether. <laughs> I truly cannot understand. <laughs> What it must be like to be a fan. I, it's, then, gen, I, it's genuine pity. And then to make it worse, dude, is Oregon's over there. Oh, yeah. Like, that must be exhausting. Are we, they also sponsored by Nike? Because it'd be really funny if they weren't. They are. But oh. you think they're, who do you think their head coach is? Uh, Gary Anderson. <laughs> Uh, he quit. He actually left because he was doing such a bad job that he quit himself. I actually, I actually remember that, which is incredible. No, uh, Jonathan Smith is his name. Oh, my cousin. Uh, yep, exactly. And Damn. never been a head coach of 
any program prior to Oregon State. It shows because he is 9-22 and heading into his fourth season. Well, he played that's, back at Oregon State, allegedly. Um, not only is that a person, <laughs> that person has apparently been in charge of a Power 5 football team for three years, and I legitimately have never heard of him before do you, do until you know, just now. Do you know why he's the head coach? Because, there because was he's one of, of the pioneers that founded this country? There, <laughs> their, their best season ever, he was a quarterback on it, with Dennis Erickson as their head coach. Hey, listen, I can't blame you for that. I can't blame I mean, hey, there's a, there's a program just down the road that did the same thing. Uh, can't blame him. You're not wrong for giving it a shot. You had nothing else. Yeah. They were just at it. He was clearly at like a, a banquet of some sort and they're like, fuck the oh oops. Uh like we can't they like we can't find anybody to take this job. And he's like, I mean, I'm just hanging out. So like I, I wanna also go on the record that Jonathan Jonathan Smith dropped an eleven and one season his junior year, came back his senior year, and they went five and six. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've just got questions for the administration. I don't. I don't know. I don't really know what's happening over there, and I'm just not sure we'll ever find out. Like, oh, man, poor Oregon State. Dude, they are they are West Coast Rutgers. Um, another matchup we're looking forward to is uh, Syracuse versus Northwestern. Uh, yes. We'd like all of the most insufferable people in sports media to gather in one place. Yes. So we can So that we can we can bully them all at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just want to go somewhere. What we would do and this is going to sound terrible, but like I would just and I have a lot of people that I know that I like that went to Northwestern. So let me caveat this with the fact that like there are I I, it's nothing against the school. It's against specifically the journalism portion. As a journalist, journalism major, I can say these things. I would like to just get every available locker, like that's at all the neighboring high schools and, and stuff like that, and line them up along the field and just shove all of the journalists down a line, each into one locker. And just, just one good, just some good old fashioned bullying. You uh, about this. What's that? You've really thought about this? this yeah, is. just now. It's what I've been thinking about with Darren Ravel for a very long time. Like he just <laughs> needs to get bullied there in person. Are other people that we feel that way about. I know we won't name names, but uh, no. <laughs> Darren Ravel is absolutely one of them, and I just like he's just so insufferable, and I just feel like. Maybe instead of bullying, because I know that that's not something that people that you should do. I don't condone it. And this is obviously all tongue in cheek, but like maybe we could just put them all on the field for halftime of that game and be like, look at all these great journalism majors. And then everybody boos and we boo over like the loudspeaker. We have people like phone in to boo. Uh, I feel like that that would play. I want them to play a flag football game at halftime so that everyone could see how unathletic they are. Yes. As they spend their careers commenting on actual athletes. I think like that, Wilbon lining up to guard Ravel in the flat uh, <laughs> would be some priceless stuff right there. Um, the other matchup we want is Arizona State versus Minnesota. But we want these schools to be able to pick when they play each other. <laughs> so Minnesota 
invites Arizona State to come play in December. Uh, Minnesota returns the favor in August. And some culture <laughs> shock, too, I imagine. You, you know what the thing is? I think that on a per, I'll put it this way, you'd probably think, oh, there'd be more shirtless people in Tempe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I sort of think that, that <laughs> in Minnesota, we might get like a very heavy component of shirtless people uh, do you, do you eating remember, ice cream, potentially. Do you, yeah, do you remember that our head coach eating a dilly bar during a blizzard? I'll never forget it. It's that, etched into my memory. Like if you were to go through my memory bank and find like five <laughs> images, that might be truly one of them. That was the most incredible flex I've ever seen from a from a football standpoint, I think. Like that was the most football guy thing you could have done in that scenario. Yeah. <laughs> in that specific uh, it's, it's it's a staggering amount of footballness in one in one photo. <laughs> the fact that He's just crushing a dilly bar just right before kick to calm the nerves. So to, to calm the nerves in a literal blizzard uh, is Ooh. just just priceless stuff. Man. All right, should we should we take a break before we do some position previews? Yeah, man, we're re- we're really focused today. Yeah, we sure are. All right, uh, three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. All right, John. I think I think we should jump. Uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? A little S and P talk, and then jump into the lines. What do you want to do here? Yeah, actually, let's talk about the lines because I want to end with. Um, we're not quite to season projection time. That'll happen next week. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a nice little teaser for the full season projections that we'll provide next week. So let's jump into the defensive line and then we'll go offensive line. We mentioned this last week. It may, this is the most big 10 thing ever. If you can't win, if these guys don't produce, then it's just not going to work out. And obviously that's true of any conference, but there was no greater talent gap. I would say from MSU and not just Ohio State, Penn State, but you know Indiana and Iowa in the in the in the line play, and you know MSU couldn't do anything really, especially on the offensive line. But the defensive line, I think, took a step back as well from the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So a lot they just need to really step up um, to, if MSU wants to be competitive, especially as this four-two-five uh, new defense settles in. You, you, as guys get used to new positions and new types of ways of playing, a lot can, a lot of that can be solved if there can just be some guys on the line that win some one-on-one battles, right? Yep. And, and I think fortunately, uh, there are some guys that might be able to rise to the occasion. Um, 
especially in the defensive tackle area. I know that's an area you, with one guy in particular, you're really excited about. Yeah, I mean, you made a great point. I think it was a a handful of things last year that really set MSU back on that defensive line. Um, They were, they A, going into last year, were already going to be down, excuse me, down uh, a couple of big-time contributors. Um, Mike Panashuk and Raekwon Williams had graduated. That leaves a, both uh, both literally and figuratively, a, a quite a substantial gap in the middle in really what was the the only really redeeming part of that that defense um, two years back was was their play. So losing them, um, big deal. This year, that loss of talent is simply not not as big. Obviously, uh, Naquan Jones um, is no longer a Michigan State Spartan, but um, there are a lot of I'll put it this way. The depth, especially in the middle this year, is significantly better. And really the depth along the entire line, I think, is significantly better um, because of a couple of of things. The COVID year, in terms of eligibility, is helping MSU as much as it's probably helping anybody. uh, With Drew Beasley and Jacob Panashev both coming back um, for that extra COVID year, that's a huge deal. Those are your two starting defensive ends. And then also with the transfer in uh, Drew Jordan, the redshirt senior from Duke, um, another guy who, you know, may or may not end up starting. He's probably more of a first and second down defensive end, not, you know, the, the, the hardcore pass rush or anything like that. Reminds me of Trevor Anderson, who was uh, mm-hmm. one of the first transfers that D'Antonio got when he came from Cincinnati. Um, those three alone, a defensive end, just that can rotate in, uh, is is a step in the right direction for, for MSU because they were not really able to generate a ton of pressure, uh, especially when they rushed four last year. So these three alone, and uh, Jacob Panishuk did reveal he also dealt with a bout of COVID last summer. So uh, his ability to, uh, he looks noticeably bigger if you've yep. seen him now. So his ability to hold an edge, his ability to get after and take on some of these tackles and guards um, is going to be a big deal. So uh, along the edge, those two are huge. And then I think that the biggest X factor here, and really the only other defensive end worth getting too far into is big Mike Fletcher. Uh, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore this year. He's been one of the only guys. We've talked about him so much over the past few years. He's one of the only dudes that you'd put on the off-the-bus team, you know, where yeah. you he, he always popped as, oh, this guy looks like the real deal. Long arms, super tall dude. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how he is deployed this year, whether he is used as much as a hand down rusher. I know there's been film out there of him uh, along with uh, Tank Brown, both kind of playing as like a stand-up edge rusher, not as much with his hand in the dirt. So, you know, he is built uh, in a lab for that type of position. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how he is utilized and really how creative they want to get. I mean, we talked about them using multiple fronts with a three, four, that type of thing. It's kind of exactly what he, again, is, is supposed to, you know, that's the archetype that he fills. So I'm, I'm very interested to see that, but this group, I think uh, along the edge brings some, some dynamism uh, that maybe was, was lacking a year ago and certainly depth that was lacking a year ago. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned just really quickly uh, the different type, these guys, you will not see at all the true freshmen, but a different type of archetype yep. of D end the guys that kind of look more like 
what Michael Fletcher is or guys that can become that and fill that size. They are already the, the length, Tyson Watson, Alex uh, Okilo are, are the Michael Fletcher prototype. And that's what is just a different thing than the grit and grind type of DM that mm-hmm. Antonio was producing. So, you know, take out Will Golston um, as the exception to the rule. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's it really that's showing it's showing up there in the offensive line as much as anywhere. The difference in in recruiting uh, and kind of the different type of player, like you said, that Mel Tucker is going after as opposed to um, as opposed to what D'Antonio was going after. So, uh, yeah, different archetype there. I think another interesting one to keep an eye on. Well, Tyson Watson's actually a big body. I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them start playing, to be honest with you. Um, Another really interesting story is Brandon Wright, former running back, is actually sort of lining up at defensive end now. So who knows? It's another uh, flyer to see if, if maybe that works out as well. But the really exciting part of this defensive line is what's happening uh, inside the tackles. Um, not only is, like we said, the only real loss going to be Naquan Jones. So there's a ton of depth coming back. But there are some guys in here that are legitimate one-on-one. They have the one-on-one ability to to kind of change a game on their own. And I'm actually going to start with probably the Mike Panashuk parallel here uh, and Jacob Slade, who's probably going to end up um, becoming more of that space eater, kind of that two that guy can, that can take on two offensive linemen. Uh, if you go back and watch him play, he's already doing that in his careers, eating up space, letting guys get around him and make plays. Super valuable guy to have, uh, especially when you have some talent like these other dudes that I'm about to talk about um, around him. Two biggest names I'm excited about that you're going to see a lot from are Jalen Hunt and Deshaun Mallory. Uh, Deshaun Mallory, whatever he's doing, be it legal or illegal, every <laughs> program in the country needs to get their people on his workout plan the before and after of him from the last year is staggering this dude is now a brick wall of muscle after being very much a uh effective in this like body type he was good before he's he's got a chance to be special if the bot if the change in his physique can uh can pan out the way that you know it, it could so yeah. Deshaun Mallory is super exciting as a rotational defensive tackle. Shocking is the word I would use. I would go my and... jaw my jaw hung open when I saw the photo of <laughs> of what he has changed uh, into. It's it's really quite remarkable what Jason Novak is doing. We've been talking about him ad nauseum here the last few weeks, but like really amazing stuff. Um, and then the other guy is Jalen Hunt. I, listen, if you watched any of the spring, wouldn't even call it a game. Spring practice you saw a lot of Jalen Hunt. This dude is compact. And this is not a comparison into in, in terms of talent level, but it's strictly in terms of physique and, and the structure of the way that they're built. He is not unlike Aaron Donald. Again, he is he is not Aaron. Let me be very clear. It is not the same caliber of player, talking about maybe the best player in the NFL. But in terms of the way he's built and kind of like the way that he plays his game, he is not the longest arms, not that tall of a guy, but he is short and powerful and can really get through offensive linemen. It is, it's impressive to watch. So, uh, again, I'm not trying to insinuate that he's going to be Aaron Donald, but like that is the type of game that he 
plays and the way that he's, he's kind of structured. So uh, I would say that those three are very, very exciting. And then there's some names behind them that are interesting. Maverick Hansen was, I believe a two-star preferred walk-on who's played his way into the playing group. Um, Derek Harmon is a really interesting uh, true freshman who is 330 pounds. So again, just a, a ton of size from, from, from him there. So if that's a, a role they're looking to fill, they've got a guy to do it. Uh, but the, another interesting one that if you, again, watched the spring game, you saw this guy flash quite a bit and that's Simeon Barrow jr. Um, it's going to be a redshirt freshman this year, really good athlete for the position, uh, kind of like forgotten recruit, I think by a lot of people, but his dad played in the NFL. Simeon Barrow was actually like a pretty good NFL player for quite some time. I believe he was a linebacker. Um, and you know, he's the type of guy that you love to show up in spring and fall ball. Uh, that kind of like wild card. Cause I think, you know what you have in hunt slate and Mallory. I think you have a really nice three man rotation, no matter what, if Barrow comes around or if Harmon comes around, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a vicious rotation. And if, and the beautiful thing is if they're taking on, if they're causing havoc in the middle of the line, you've got guys on the edge that can get one-on-one matchups and hopefully get a little bit of pressure. So I think there's potential here to see a, you know, not only coupled with these guys, but you, you pair them with the athleticism that MSU is bringing in, in Ben Vance, Sam and Vance, bleh, Ben Vance, Marin, Quiveris Crouch, Octavian Brown. I mean, you're, you're by creating havoc up front, you're giving these guys room to roam. And these are a different level of athlete than MSU's had at that linebacker position in a while. So uh, there's some real potential in that front seven. I can't emphasize enough how important it is that it all starts with no pressure, but Jalen Hunt and and yes. Jason Slade and Deshaun Mallory, essentially. If they can, it, you know, it's funny. I just try and think about football plays are like three plays within a play. You know, if and, and the person with the ball has to react. And if they have to react to something, then the play is already less likely to succeed, right? And instead of just doing what they wanted to do in that play. And the first step is if the defensive line can disrupt and make the person with the ball, whether it be the quarterback or the run, running back, react and have to make a choice uh, quickly or change direction or, you know, avoid or move in uh, the pocket, win, already winning. And that is such a big deal for a, the guys you just described, um, BVS, Quavarius Crouch, uh, Itavian Brown, those are guys who are not very, um, who not who are not seasoned at their position, and so when you're allowing them to now all of a sudden um, buy them time and or just utilize their athleticism, you know, chase down the reaction of the offensive player, they don't have to think. That is such a like that's what you want when you don't have a seasoned linebacker, yep. right? So, you know, if they can get the little wins up front more often than not, and especially I think those wins that you're looking for, they don't have to come against Ohio State and Penn State. yet. It'd be great if they did. But we got to start, you know, at the beginning and and begin to win those matchups against um, the middle pack uh, of talent. And if they can do that, you know, I think Northwestern is probably going to be a pretty good indicator, right? You know, they're not, they're a mid-level Big Ten team. 
um, with a mid-level offensive line. And if, if this group can win against them, you can feel a lot better about the season. If they're not, man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Pretty yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that first game is going to be an indicator across the board. And I don't want to jump and make every conclusion after that, but yes, to me, I, I would agree. There's that's, that's going to be a very good indicator. And I think, the same holds true on the the other line. And we saved this position. Well, I guess technically we're going to do tight ends and special teams at some point. But we saved this among the major positions for last because, as we were talking about, it even more than the defensive line, in my opinion, this is mission-critical yep. group, and that, that is the offensive line. It has been quite some time since MSU had uh, a truly – good offensive line um and that's probably going back to the jack conklin uh you know jack allen donovan clark era of uh michigan state so it's been been quite some time i will say i think this group in terms of individual talent and what we've seen from them has a has a real chance what we haven't seen from some of them is the ability to stay healthy and consistent. And um, the hope is that that is something that can change this year. I also think you're seeing some really functional depth start to emerge in the offensive line group, but we'll start with the starters. The first one we'll start with is the left tackle. Everybody always says it's the most important when you have a right-handed quarterback. And that's uh, the Arkansas State transfer, Jarrett Horst. Um, arguably, maybe not even arguably, the biggest transfer Michigan State got this entire offseason. He was chased by Texas, Oklahoma, huge programs uh, that produce offensive linemen all the time. Um, and yet he chose to come to, to Michigan State. And, you know, not only is he individually a great player, people describe him as nasty, which you'd love to hear about offensive linemen. His presence allows MSU to really have the pieces fall into the appropriate places along the line. One of the big problems has been you've had good talent playing out of position. Mm-hmm. Biggest example of this is the guy who's actually going to end up playing. Well, the first thing that Jared Horst does is he allows AJR Curie, who we saw some real talent from. He's built like a tackle had gotten nicked up a little bit. You get to push him to right tackle. That's a huge step up for you right there. Now, all of a sudden, you go from have you now have two left tackles essentially playing your tackle positions. That in and of itself is a massive gain for MSU and two guys with legitimate size. But I think the biggest component of this is the fact that it pushes Kevin Jarvis back to right guard where he was recruited to play and where he has played a staggeringly small amount of his actual snaps at MSU between injuries uh, and other things. He's gotten moved. He played center for like a like a snap. He has played both tackles. I mean, this guy's been asked to do a million different things. And this year he's going to be asked to play the game in the position that he was brought into play. And right there, you're three out of your five. You're already talking about getting them into the correct positions. That alone, huge deal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's. We, we kind of lied to ourselves a lot when we told ourselves that it was good that people had 
experience at all these different positions. And sure, but the only way an offensive line works and can can grow and evolve and have an actual running game is if they've just played the same position and mesh as a unit. You don't right. want a lot of people coming in and out, you know, at different positions, should I say. Um, you know, it's, the shuffling is, <laughs> it's a mess. It, it, it's so hard to ask someone to change positions, not just mid-season, but mid-game. And I think what you're going to see, the reason that that's going to stop or slow is the new strength and conditioning program. I, I truly think that you're going to see less injuries, specifically offensive line injuries, which has been plagued this program for a very long time. And I think there is one variable that's changed and I getting ahead of myself, but I think that's one area you can start to hope to see less injuries because they are um, doing things to help better prepare for a big 10 college football season. Yeah. And I think that cross training to your point is like, it's a good thing. Everybody should do it, but I think it should really be done more for the backups in the second and third strings than it should be for that, 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 uh, that starting five. Um, and I think you'll see a lot more consistency here. The two other guys to fill in are JD Duplain and Nick Samick. Duplain's going to be a left guard, Samick at center. Two guys that really have stood out, honestly, as true freshmen and two sophomores. Um, they have a ton of experience coming back as juniors. And that is one thing. As you look across this line, you've got three juniors and two seniors. Uh, that's a nice combination of things to have because as you look down the line, you're going to be transitioning from guys that are at least upperclassmen down to probably a more talented. The handoff at some point is going to be to a more talented group of underclassmen. So that starting five should be in pretty good shape. And actually behind them, you've got three more redshirt seniors. Um, and actually, Arcuri is a part of this group too, but Arcuri, Matt Allen, and Luke Campbell all used their COVID six year to come back and play another year. That type of depth, like I don't think we can overlook, even if those aren't the best players in the world, what that allows you to do from a depth perspective like, to, is just incredible. The level of safety blanket that you get, even if these aren't you know, traditionally, you know, if these guys might not be the best players in the world, but they've played a ton of football. And to have them just kind of sitting there able to jump in if need be it is a huge deal so alan at center campbell played a little bit of tackle probably settled in more at the guard uh and then matt carrick is actually a redshirt senior as well and only a fifth year he's an, a, another backup guard um a lot of experience there in the middle and then really the exciting stuff i think starts to show up for the the future for msu spencer brown is going to be a backup tackle i mean again another get off the bus guy that i think is what is I think he's. You can almost pencil him in to be a starter next year at one of the tackles, uh, depending on which which guy departs um, between Horst. Arcuri will be gone. Horst might go pro as well. So Spencer Brown, I think, is is a big time part of the future there. Brandon Baldwin is a transfer who is a sophomore. Uh, we'll get a look. But then you've got some of these these true freshmen: Geno Vandemark, Ethan Boyd, Kevin Wigginton. The exciting part, I think, for MSU with these these six year guys coming back is that they don't have to play. Whereas if they these guys, Campbell, Arcuri, Allen, didn't come back, you might be forcing some of these younger kids into positions that maybe stump their growth. Maybe they're not ready for it. But instead, MSU is going to get another year of eligibility out of them. And uh, that's that's pretty exciting. So a lot of pieces to be pretty excited about. And to be honest, this line doesn't have like 
this doesn't have to be a great line. This has to be an average offensive line that can help an average running game and can put an average quarterback in good position. That's all you need. We're looking for C's across the board. Like that is truly what we're looking for. Um, and I don't think that there's any reason this group can't give you something close to that. Well, and I think the reason you can hope for that is you could make an argument the at least one of, but perhaps the best position coach Michigan State currently has is their offensive line coach. And mm-hmm. Chris Kaplovich has made, had success stories everywhere he's gone. And um, you're kind of hoping for that can take place this year now that he's in year two um, with with Michigan State. And if, you know, it's, it's, ho- it's one thing to get hopeful that a position group like the secondary, you know, breaks through right or or the 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 wide receivers pop it's it's another when you have a a coach that you can kind of rely on and say they're going to get better (laughs) because he's that good of a coach so um great point you can feel a little more confident with this group being better than they were last year simply because of that so lots to rely on um you know this group as we mentioned you'll learn a lot in in week one um, for better or worse, as where they're at. It's not to say that teams can't get better or improve over time, but that that's the advantage of playing a Big Ten opponent um, in week one. You know, you, you get to see there's that it is what it is, right? It's not playing uh, Youngstown State. Like this is it. <laughs> this is you'll see if if they don't get pushed, probably not going to get pushed later. You know, against it's a, other similar programs. So. Um, these these are the these are the positions that we think probably matter the most. But um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that if you're looking for any positions around the on the field, the, I mean, just what this offensive line does for the rest of the offense. If you can give your running back room, you have plenty of talent back there. If you can give your quarterback time, you got ton of ton of tons of speed on the edge and great talent in the wide receiver room. I mean, yeah, we've said it before. There's enough here at the skill positions on offense to make a good team there's there's more than enough to get to make this a, a, an above average offense there truly is in terms of sheer talent but it all hinges on this group because if this group is bad this group gets hurt then it, it's all going to fall apart the, the rest of the offense again has a lot of skill but it's going to need help from the offensive line and then defensively you know you have a lot of talent in the secondary but it's a lot of new faces a lot of changes you've got a lot of athleticism at linebacker but it's the same kind of deal so the more that these two groups can do in the trenches, the more battles that they can win, you know, you talk about MSU's outlook for this season. Uh, move, I think that these two groups, if they, if MSU overachieves, it's because these two groups overachieved. So. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you say we save the um, SP plus for the season preview next week? And, I think that works. Uh, I think that works. All right. Well, listen, we had we had some fun. We had some laughs. We had some tears. We did it all. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks, as always, for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin. We'll catch you next week. See you.